From the team at CTS, this is the Train Ride Podcast, our show for endurance athletes who want to learn how to train more effectively and improve their performance. I'm Coach Adam Pulford, your host for the cycling edition of the show, where it's my job to interview top coaches, scientists, experts, and athletes in the world of cycling to bring you actionable training tips that you can apply to your own training. Now, let's dive into the show and learn how you can train right. Just a quick question for everyone. Where do you buy your gels, hydration mixes, and energy bars for training and racing? If you're like most of my athletes, you're buying from different websites, trying to find the best deal here or the right fuel there, and also maybe buying big boxes of stuff that you may or may not use. If you're not shopping at thefeed.com, you're missing out. The feed allows you to purchase, say, one individual serving of something so that you know if it works or you like the flavor. And once you do figure out what you do enjoy, you can put it on auto ship or buy your big boxes of stuff and away you go. The feed is the largest online marketplace for your sports nutrition, offering the brands that you know and love from Scratch Labs, Cliff Bar to Morton, plus their athlete customized supplements called Feed Formulas. Feed formulas are personalized supplements for athletes developed in part with Dr. Kevin Sprouse, the EF pro cycling team doctor, following the same protocols the top pro athletes use. I've met Dr. Kevin Sprouse a few times over the years working with different teams, and I listened to his podcast called The Podium. He's a smart guy. This isn't your typical doctor endorsement pill thing. Sprouse has been around the sport for some time, and he knows the athlete needs. So if you're interested in something like that, head on over to thefeed.com backslash trainwright and save 50% off your first order of feed formulas. That is thefeed.com backslash trainwright. Hey, Trainwright fans, Coach AP here, your host. I know I promised some guest interviews coming up. But I had some travel this pa- the past couple of weeks um, with our national championships and couldn't align schedules as as well as I uh, needed to to get that done. So you're stuck with only me for this episode once again. Um, but that's actually not true. It's it's me and you on you know the listener here on this episode. And really, as I got to think about it today. It's me and all of you because I'll be answering some questions that all of you have asked uh, centered around FTP, when to test, when not to test, and some other stuff around data management. So the goal of answering your questions through this podcast is to help simplify your process of how to train right. And of course, that's the exact cheesy pun you were hoping to hear today on the Train Right Podcast. So let's get right into the show, uh, <laughs> all about testing FTP. Before I actually answer that question, I was thinking about it and it's like, do we really, are we testing FTP or are we estimating FTP? So the quick qualifier here is when people are talking about a typical FTP test, most people are referring to a 20 minute time trial or 20 minute all out effort. We then take 95% of the highest average power. We, we take that number and we plug that in for your FTP and you've got training zones. So this is what most people are referring to when they say an FTP test. But it's important to know here that we're actually 
measuring 20 minute peak power. And then we're estimating FTP based on that 20, that 20 minute peak power. So what we get out of this is actually some rich data because 20 minute peak power, that's performance. That's average power that you're producing. The calculation to get that FTP is, is still really good. Okay. We where I use that for my athletes and I advise most people to use that if they're not using some more advanced analytics. Um, but overall, I think it's really important to kind of dissect that in your brain a little bit more and to understand truly what you're measuring <laughs> and what you're estimating to get at some of these training peaks. Now, keep in mind when I'm testing my athletes, I typically use uh, kind of a week of testing. So it's essentially three separate days to test the anaerobic and the aerobic energy systems spanned out over four or five days. And this gives me a more accurate model derived FTP along with TTE or time to exhaustion, as well as an overall um, performance or where the athlete's performance is sitting from sprint power all the way to threshold power. That's how I do it. But whether we're testing for a few days or whether you're testing for one day of that 20 minute power, my advice moving forward on this podcast about the timing of when to test still pertains to both. So essentially it doesn't matter, you know, what sort of field testing you're using. Um, the timing of it is the most important aspect. Okay. So I'll walk you through how I would map out the times of year and maybe the, the particular weeks of how to optimally um, test for performance based on these methods. And really we're getting at um, testing peak power durations to estimate that FTP. So you can kind of track your fitness, organize your training zones and away we go. So now to the question, when is a good time to test your FTP? First, just on a high level targeting times, typically I'm shooting for around two times per year and maybe three. The first time period for this is actually after some time off. So say the off season and we're starting to get more organized about training, we're getting and we're, we want to do some training. And the goal to do this is to reestablish baseline numbers for, um, anaerobic and anaerobic training zones. Okay. To establish those zones, you want to set the training zones afterwards and you want to determine if there was any detraining, uh, coming off that past season or not, which there probably should be if you did, uh, your transition phase or your off season appropriately. Okay. The anaerobic engine will, will kind of wind down a little bit and that's fine. Um, you also get some indicator of where strengths and weaknesses are sitting and just see how the engine's running. It's a great time of year to test that for the pros. Uh, this may be November or December. It's kind of depending on what their next season race schedule looks like. And if they even need it, uh, sometimes, you know, if we are kind of rolling off that kind of off seat world championships typically in September. So they take some time off and then we get back going and you know, November we can do that test. But if all we're going to be doing is a bunch of zone two work, maybe it's not needed. Okay. So I'm just giving you some, some general aspects, um, based on some timelines here for amateurs and masters, this may be January or February to do your test. And that's because 
I have a lot of people, especially North America, who take some time off around the December holidays and everybody's ripping, ripping and roaring to get back to it in January. So uh, first first week or first couple weeks in January is, is a good time period to test, reestablish those zones and away you go. So second test, when should that come? Well, after several cycles of base to build is when I typically do that second test for the, for the year. The goal with the second test is you want to test your training. You want to see if what you did in your training actually worked or did it change anything. And from there, you'll get some insights of maybe what you need to work more on or less on something like that. You're going to reset training zones if your FTP changed. And for me, I, I take that time to the way I do it again, uh, with my battery of testing, I dial in what is called the eye levels on WKO five, which are really kind of the anaerobic portions of what the athlete does. So that's a little bit more, um, specific, uh, in the way of targeting or descriptive in what the athlete is, is doing. So I take that, that test and it helps me to identify a little bit more of how, how the athlete is going at that time. So for professional athletes, you know, maybe this is before, um, some of their spring classics, or maybe after they come back from that and we have a nice training block or a, a time period where we can get some training done, um, after a significant amount of training the first part of the season from there, you know, it's just so much kind of racing that I'm not testing that type of athlete, um, very much throughout the rest of the year for amateurs and masters. This could be any time. Uh, again, after some of that big block of training and typically for especially like North American athletes, it's going to come in like April or May. Again, that second test, I want it to become, I want it to come after a few phases of base to build. So again, April, May, and before some of your higher priority races. And it's a good time, a good time of year to do that because if you've been doing your training, you will likely see changes, especially in the aerobic glycolytic energy system or what we call kind of threshold power FTP. So it's, it's really good to reestablish those zones at that point so that you can then train more properly and, and know what you need to do moving forward. That third test, when does that come? Well, it doesn't always come. And it's only, I would say like asterisks if, if needed. Okay. So when, when would that happen? So if I'm getting feedback from an athlete, or if you're a self-coached athlete and you're taking good notes and kind of monitoring yourself over these training periods, if that athlete is giving me an RPE, that's different from the training zones. And that means something's change changing and it might be time to retest. So this could happen for uh, various reasons. After months of training or racing, things change, right? Or if you haven't been training and racing, uh, the, the lack of all of that, you know, could change your uh, FTP as well. Okay. And using FTP as the hinge point of what I call quantif quantitative data or the numbers, and then using RPE rate of perceived effort as the hinge point for the qualitative data, meaning, uh, all the other stuff that happened in the ride. Those are my two things for determining if it's a good time to test or not. Recall that the, using the RPE scale, scale one to 10, 10 being a max effort where we do our field testing 
and one being a super easy effort, uh, threshold or zone four, as we refer to it, say on training peaks or on this podcast, a lot of coaches use that, that term threshold should feel like a seven or an eight out of 10 for most people. Okay. Or at least again, that's the way that I, that I coach. So that is when everything's synced up properly. That is where the RPE and the FTP should correlate there seven or eight out of 10 for that FTP. Now let's look at some examples of when this third test may, may be needed. Okay. So the first example, just hypothetical, an athlete tested in January, we did a bunch of zone two and three, uh, for six to eight weeks. And then we did a block of threshold training in zone four for four to six weeks. We jumped to some group rides, races, and all this kind of stuff. We test again and say, uh, you know, nothing, nothing has really changed kind of in that April sort of time period. So we continue on, we do a bunch of racing, everything's going good. And maybe in a few months, I'm, I'm seeing a 20 to 30 watt higher normalized power for maybe like 40 or 60 minutes. And maybe you come back to a cycle of zone four training and they're hitting those powers and they're saying, coach, that feels more like a six out of 10. And so some days, maybe even like a five, if I'm running at the, the low end of threshold. And so what I'll do is I'll just say, okay, great. Let's freshen up. Let's retest. And away we go. Treat it like a hard workout, but let's see where that number, where those numbers are at, because maybe some of that racing or those group rides, or maybe we just need a little bit more um, time to develop that uh, glycolytic system. Okay. We just missed it by a little bit, or maybe, you know, just had a little bit more recovery. And so we need to retest because if the perceived efforts off, I want to, I want to know if the quantifiable data is off so that, you know, the numbers that we're using from the, the power meter as well as heart rate, um, can be dialed in for more accurate and in better training. Okay. So example number two, the athlete's been say racing shorter stuff. So short criteriums, maybe cross country mountain bike races on the weekends and the volume has been low. Okay. Cause they're, they're traveling say on the weekends and then there's really no hard intervals necessarily midweek, something that's like getting a training effect. Maybe you're just doing enough to maintain because we're just saving it for the weekend. So we do that over a couple months, something like that. And the feedback you're getting from the athlete is oof, those long threshold efforts. Those are, those are starting to hurt. Those are more like an eight or a nine out of 10. So my advice to that is freshen up. And if you're going to train, so if you got a block of, you know, training coming up, uh, retest, do a 20 minute field test and estimate that FTP and, and dial it in. What you probably will see there is that you actually just need more volume and you probably need some of that extensive threshold work, but that's, that's typically what happens if you're not doing kind of longer threshold stuff or higher volume is that maybe the anaerobic side of things is, is really booted up and you're, you got a nice little snap, uh, to you, but your FTP can dip when that happens. And that's a scenario where the RPE may be higher, uh, for the given power at threshold than it needs to. And that's, that's another good time to retest. So finally, a third example, and this happens, uh, to, you know, self-coached athletes as well as coach athletes is when was the last time you did a field test? When was the last time you did a 20 minute all out effort? I don't know. Did we even do the one this year? Let's, let's test. <laughs> so that's, that's also a good time. And I would say, uh, when was the last time question mark, but if the RPE 
you know, feels high for the given power or low for the given power. Again, I keep in mind, we want that perceived effort or some sort of, uh, other data point qualitative or quantitative to indicate that we need, uh, we need more information. So let's go test. All right. So let's assume that you oh, real quick, I just want to say when I say freshen up, like a good time to come into this, um, uh, testing period, it could only take two or three days easy to shake off some fatigue from the previous training and then come into that field test effort. Say it's a one, one day, 20 minute all out effort. You don't need a full recovery week. I think for most people, unless you have been traveling and racing and training a bunch or you're just super stressed out at work or something like that, you know, on the week, I mean, make sure that you freshen up, like I said, three, four days or so. Um, and then do it on the day where you have the most bandwidth. Because when you've got other life stressors going on or travel or, um, you know, kids events or something like this, it kind of, it doesn't matter what day of the week it is. What matters is that the mind and body are fresh and clear going into it. Good, good night's sleep, couple days going on in a row, no hard intervals or anything like that, that the day doesn't matter. I want you to take it. I want you to take kind of control and do it on the day where you feel most fresh and ready to rock. So that's, that's how I do it for most people. And I'll run through some scenarios, uh, later on here, or just in a few minutes in the podcast as well. So let's assume that you've just knocked out a 20 minute, uh, field test and your, your estimated FTP is higher. Now what's next? Well, you want to update your FTP on all of your stuff. It's a good reminder here that whenever you do a test and you, you see some changes in your physiology, you want to record that FTP on your training peaks, on today's plan, whatever you use to manage your, organize your training. You want to put it on your Garmin, your Wahoo, whatever training device you use kind of during training. And also don't forget if you're doing uh, riding with virtual platforms like Zwift or Rovi or something like that. The reason why we need to do that is because oftentimes, you know, these devices, they're getting pretty smart. Everybody wants to grab your data and then push you, say, notifications or insights on like how to, um, <laughs> how to change your training, right? Everything's kind of dinging all over the place, uh, tr trying to give you that feedback in the hinge point. Again, it's all coming around this, this FTP number. So if you found that you added say 20 Watts to your FTP and you didn't update that on a few of your devices, your numbers are going to be off. I'll run through some, some of those examples here later on, but it's a really good reminder that, Hey, don't forget. And there may be like a lot more places to update this than you realize. Um, I have athletes a lot, like after a week of testing, will um, update and be like, oh, don't forget to do it on your Wahoo and all this kind of stuff. And there's usually either the Zwift or something that doesn't update. It's kind of a problem. So for me and the analytical tool that I use, WKO5, there's also, you can update your indoor and outdoor power as well. Uh, sometimes that's that gets me and some of my athletes be shaking their head because it's like, say their CTL is off on Training Peaks Online versus uh, NWKO5 when I send them screenshots. And that's, that's because if you're doing a bunch of training inside and I forget to update it on the indoor, those numbers can be off. So again, you just want to think through your process of how you're managing your data and make sure that anytime you make a good significant change that you update your data 
as you go. Quick note is if the athlete does their test outside, um, and I change that FTP power for their outside, say power meter or whatever. Um, I, I, I do the same. I keep the same number as inside, unless the power meter is different that they're using indoors. Um, and then what I'll do is I'll simply just say, Hey, use perceived effort when you're riding inside, or if you really want to, um, update your equipment inside. So <laughs> the, the power data is the same indoor and out, but typically for threshold and below, I don't see much discrepancy for a well-trained athlete. All right, let's run through a couple scenarios of when not to test because just as I think it's just as important to know when not to test as it is to when to test. So first, first and foremost, oh my gosh, do not test too often. Don't do this. Why? Well, it's unnecessary because changes in physiology is really what we're trying to test here. And those changes take longer than you think it should happen. What I mean by that is if we're trying to make a change in your threshold power, for most people who've been training three years or more, that's going to take several cycles to do. Unless you're, you got like super detrained or something like that, you know, meaning you took months off. We're not going to see huge changes in that threshold. Um, in four weeks, right? So if you're, if you're testing every month, that's too much. That's what I'm trying to say here. You want to test. I, I said two to three times per year. Some people test four times per year, which is like every quarter. I think that that's a little on the heavy side personally. However, if you're not doing a bunch of group rides or races or something like that to give you some other feedback mechanisms, it might be fine. And also it's not going to hurt your physiology necessarily. It's, it's a little bit more between the head. Um, but that brings me to my next point is if you test too, too often, that can create a lot of like mental stress. And I have a lot of athletes that just hate field tests. They just, they don't. And there's a lot of excuses that can go on to avoid them, right? Because it, it just, it definitely costs more mental stress to just get super amped up to give a max effort, um, on the day. Um, especially when you got work and other stuff going on. You're also, you know, you're testing, comparing yourself now to, you know, um, last year or something like that. So there's a lot of perceived stress that can go on with that. So it's better to be more patient, do your work, train, rest, and test when it's appropriate. Test on these time scales that are a little bit longer so you can see the true changes in physiology. So why would an athlete do this? Why, why would an athlete, most, most athletes out there hate testing. Why would somebody test too often? Honestly, I think it has to do with some low confidence, okay? Low confidence in the self, in their training, in the process that they're following, and it can lead to misinformation. Therefore, they want to kind of test themselves too much and they don't see the big picture. It's, if I would use an analogy is like testing is using binoculars to, to look at more detail. When you're looking through the binoculars too often, you can't see the big picture. You can't see all the things, right? When you're staying in training and experience um, and reviewing that training, um, going back and forth with the coach or taking good notes and all this kind of stuff. Um, that's the bigger picture. That's the non binoculars. Okay. So having, I think, you know, low confidence or lack of education. Like if you think that you can train for two weeks and see a change, it's really not how it works for a lot of people. 
the exception there is some juniors that I coach. It does seem, give them some dose of training for a couple of weeks and their FTP is up like 50 watts. <laughs> but there's a lot more going on there with uh, how the body's changing hormones and all this kind of stuff. But um, so just why, you know, if you're testing too often, I'd say give yourself a good check of why that is. Typically in my experience, test less for greater success. When else is not a good time to test? When you're sick. So if coach has a field test scheduled for the week or a whole week of field testing and you're sick and you're like, by golly, uh, I recovered last week. I'm, I'm going to do this testing. I don't want to, I don't want to change anything. I don't want to get off target. That's no, not the great way. That's not a good way of thinking. Uh, text, call your coach, tell him what's up, tell him that you're sick because we're not going to get good numbers, which is kind of the point. We're not going to see the changes in physiology because you're not at your best. So don't test when you're sick. Also, don't test when you're overly fatigued, okay? I talked about this before where you want to freshen up before you roll into a field testing week or, or a day, one-day field test. You treat it like a race, right? Only except that the, the glorious part is you can kind of cho choose when that day is versus the race where, you know, you know the race is set, so you got to be ready to go for that. But if, the, if you have some fatigue that you need to shake off, either you went longer on the weekend because your, your friends had the awesome group ride going on and you come in and you're supposed to field test on Monday, well, just change it because we want to be fresh. We want to be ready to go. We don't want fatigue rolling in and skewing that data. We want to see the good changes that we, that we made in the training. So recover first and then test when you're fresh. You also don't want to test before big races. Now, as a coach, I've made this mistake before because I mean, I'm, I was silly and young, you know, you want to see, and you want to see all the changes that you made in training, right? Um, so typically, you know, the athlete may be feeling good and the perceived effort is lower for the given power. And as a coach, right, my shortcomings was like, oh, let's field test and let's, let's see what those numbers are at. Well, again, there's a lot of psychological stress that can go into that. So getting all like revved up can, before the big test, that can kind of steal some of the mojo before the race itself. Also coming into a race, you want to focus on the specificity of the race. Say you already, you know, the perceived efforts low for the given power. Cool. That's exactly what we want. But there's a lot of specifics and nuances and maybe even like mental scenarios that you can focus on rather than field testing, right? That's a pretty silly thing to do before a big race. So scrap it, save it for afterwards, and it's going to be a way better scenario for your athletes or for you, the athlete to do. So after big races, this actually could be a good time to test or it could not be a good time to test depending on the time scale. I have no exact recipe for this, but after a big race, <laughs> uh, what I mean by this is like, you're definitely not going to do it the, you know, the day after a race. It's typically not a, right. Obviously, um, a big race, meaning physically, mentally, you're just spent not a good time to do it after the race. I think that's pretty common sense, but just for the record. But much of this depends on how big the race was, how stressful it was, both physically and mentally. And if you knew you had some really good changes going on leading up to that big race, obviously, I just walked you through why you shouldn't test it before. But let's say you did a race, a big gravel race. It was six to seven hours on Sunday. You take a week off, right? Just recovery week, easy rides, rest, get some good sleep. And by the next Saturday, 
should be should be ready to go. You could do a field test by then. You know, if you just want a weekend to kind of regulate and then hit it hard, you know, Monday or Tuesday of that following week, so maybe eight to 10 days, that's good. You know, so that's a time period where after a big race, a time scale for recovery, freshening up and then testing, that would be a really good thing. However, if it's something like Cape Epic, I've had athletes do Cape Epic um, or myself do Cape Epic, several athletes, I mean, for the past like five years. And I'd say, so it's an eight day mountain bike stage race. That's for a lot of people in the world, especially us in North America. It's like halfway around the world. So getting there, doing it, recovering from it, traveling back, it's a huge stress. Hopefully you don't get sick. Typically you do all this kind of stuff. So the recovery scale for after something like that is at least two to four weeks for physically and mentally. And and that's the best scenario. There's a lot of like emotion that goes on after doing huge events like that. Um, especially like Ironman athletes where you're just so blown out at that point might not be a good time to test. So you're better off just like easing back into training. And then once you have some like good feels and good momentums going on afterwards, then we, then we can retest. Okay. So I wouldn't be in a rush to test after something that big. And everyone's a little different, but I think, you know, my point here is if you feel like you need to test after a big race, don't rush it. Any gains that you had going into that big race, they're still going to be there for you, especially if you got through the race, you're, you're healthy. And if you recover well afterwards, taking care of yourself, sleeping, good food, it's going to be there. So don't rush it. It'll be there when you do fresh up and test. So some of the common questions after or around testing. These are some um, from online coaching forms that we've gotten some submissions to uh, the um, the newsletter at uh, CTS and also uh, from the podcast itself. So I'm just kind of having a compilation of uh, common, common questions here. They're, it'll be kind of fun to rip through. So why is my TSS on Zwift different than training peaks? after my FTP test. So again, this, this goes back to updating your FTP on all platforms. So let's say that you increased your FTP by 15 Watts, right? You updated on training peaks, you updated on your Wahoo device and you forgot about it on, on uh, Swift. Well, for every ride that you do now, you would have more TSS on Swift than you would on that training peak say. So then all of a sudden those those numbers start to get off, your CTL gets off, and things become inflated on one hand and deflated on the other on different time scales. Okay. You roll that out for a month or two and you can get some significant significantly different trends going on. And then it's sometimes it can be hard to correct. On Training Peaks Online and WKO5 and stuff like that, there's there's ways to go back and change that number to where then you have historical good accurate numbers. Um, but in terms of like using Swift and things like this, just make sure to update it on the day or when you do catch it, put it in there. should be good. Also just know, even though training peaks in, in your Swift account may be linked, it doesn't, and it pulls in workouts for the given day. It's not going to pull in your updated FTP. Okay. So both on training peaks and Zwift there, those are manual things that you need to plug in. Okay. Other question is training peak notification says my FTP went up by three Watts. Should I change this online? I would not reason for it is significant changes in your FTP are not to that scale. Three, two, three Watts. It's very granular. 
it's not to that precision. Okay. So additionally, um, so what would be a good scale then, you know, eight to 10 Watts. If you're starting to get those training peaks notifications, that's like, Ooh, that's going up. Cool. But still that's probably getting it out of a ride file where depending on what happened in the actual ride file, whether it was a, you know, kind of on the shorter scale or longer scale of things. Um, there's other nuances in there that training peaks uses to push you that notification. I think it's really good. I definitely look at those. Um, I think it's good to keep it into all of the kind of data that rolls into your decision-making of when you adjust things and how to train. However, as a coach, I'm not, I'm going to be slower to change that FTP number. And I'm typically not going to do it until we test. Okay. In a controllable setting. Cause what happens if you get super stoked in a group ride or a race, you get off the front and you just like smash it for 20 minutes and it was the peak power of your life. And you're in a, you're in a rush to change that, that FTP. So you do you up it by, you know, 10 Watts or so. Then you come back and do your training typically. And I've done this before too. Again, making mistakes here, learn from my mistakes. You put that in, you say, okay, well you did it in training or you did it in the group ride or the race. Now you have to do it in training. And it's like, coach, I can't. It's like the lower end feels like a nine out of 10. It's like, well, you did it before. Do it again. Eh, see, see what I'm saying? There's a lot more that goes into that power production. And when you're really, when your emotions are flying, all this kind of stuff, um, that can go into producing that power. Now it doesn't mean that you shouldn't chase that power or reproduce it eventually you should. So maybe making a few watt changes or something like that to help the athlete get there. That's good. But I want to see that performance happen either in a testing scenario, or I want to see it happening or multiple times before I make these changes. So be a little slower to make those changes. And I think you'll have greater success. Okay. Third question, probably final. So we can kind of wrap up here. Um, my new FTP is 250 Watts up from 230 Watts. Does that mean I can do 250 Watts for one hour? Not necessarily is my answer and likely not. This question assumes that FTP is exactly one hour. And we know that that's not true. If you want to learn more about that, listen to my episode on TTE and FTP. The quick and dirty answer is that FTP is not always the power that you can hold for one hour. It can be as little as 30 minutes and up to 70 minutes, okay, for your FTP. And all, that's all dependent on how you make your power, what the current training status is, and some muscle fiber type stuff. A newly, in my experience, a newly established FTP is likely shorter than one hour, and usually it's like 30 to 40 minutes. So if you get that new FTP and you're like going to go target a 60-minute hill climb or a 40K time trial or something like that, and you think that you should be able to do that, slow your horses because you're probably not going to be able to hit that power duration new new or green FTPs is what I like to call them. You need to take some time to train extensively to develop that. You can you can get out to an hour, maybe 50, 60, 70 minutes, but it, it takes time to train that. So just don't be in a rush about that either. Um, if you want a more accurate measurement of your one hour power, go do a one hour time trial. All right. Well, that was pretty cool. I, I like answering your questions. It's, it's super fun to me. And also kind of along the same vein of the past uh, three episodes or so that I did it on metrics, trying to keep these a little bit shorter. So, uh, you know, in summary, to kind of bring this thing home, many people are familiar with the term of FTP. 
And it's become a very popular metric. It's also become a very confusing metric. So it's important to know some of the nuances of what goes on into measuring it or better yet estimating it, as well as how best to manage FTP in order to train properly. Testing your physiology is the best way to estimate your FTP, but changes from training generally move on slower timescales than most people think or wish to believe that that actually occur. Therefore, you don't need to test very frequently throughout the season. Testing at appropriate time periods will help you stress less and as well as help provide the time needed to see the changes in training that we're putting all this effort into. Testing too often is a too kind of narrow window of time to really see any of these changes in your physiology, and it can also lead to some unreal expectations for the athlete. Testing in the right scenarios with the right timing puts you on the path to train right. Finally, you've made ch- if you've made changes in your FTP, remember to change your FTP number on all the devices and software, gadgets, and widgets that you're using to analyze and monitor your training. Otherwise, you'll have inaccurate data, which goes against really everything that we value here on the Train Right Podcast. So... That's a wrap for today. I hope that helps to clear up a bit more about uh, functional threshold power, when to test for it, and how to estimate your FTP. Thanks for joining us this week on the TrainRight podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure to visit our website at trainright.com forward slash podcast, where you can find social links, bonus content, and more about CTS. Go ahead and subscribe to the podcast so you'll never miss a show and leave us a rating on iTunes. Until next time, train hard, train smart, train right.